0: This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on
1: Bloomberg Radio. All right, so I'm going to make a confession here on air. We talk about a lot of books. Yes. And we get to read a lot of books or we get handed a lot of books. And, you know, we sort of flip through them and we have discussions with authors. There are very, very few that I pick up I flip them, open on the train, and then I'm just in. And I was totally in on this book from the get-go. It's called This Could Be Our Future. It's a manifesto for a more generous world. Yancey Strickler, he's the co-founder of Kickstarter, former CEO. He is the author of this book. You take
0: so many boxes with us. Yeah, it's really great. It's really great. He's
1: here with us in New York City. He's based out in L.A., uh, but here in our studio. And I have to say, there are so many questions I have for you, but I guess the first is why this book? Why now?
2: Um, yeah, great, great question. I mean, it's it started for me with when I lived here in the city. I lived here for almost twenty years, and I lived in Lower East Side. And there was a crystallizing moment where there was a old punk dive bar in the neighborhood called Mars Bar. Yeah, and it got turned, it got torn down and replaced by a TD Ameritrade bank. And what's crazy is it was the fourth one within a fifteen minute walk of that same corner. And as someone who lived in the neighborhood, I'm like. Is there some glitch in the matrix where random storefronts get switched to like, you know, cell phone and cell phone stores and banks overnight? I mean, it was just it was that dramatic. And there ended up being Wall Street Journal reporting around that at the time. Why are there so many banks? And there had been an increase of almost a thousand banks in the city over the previous 10 years. And so I just started asking why. And and so I end up connecting. I came to think that the same reason why there were banks everywhere was the same reason why every movie was a sequel, the same reason why Taylor Swift is on the cover of every magazine. And it's this implicit belief that the right choice in any decision is just whichever option makes the most money. And that's become a simple sort of calculus that we use to organize and operate our decisions that works some of the time. But then you have weird moments where your neighborhood gets overtaken by bank branches. And you're like, wait, what? what, what is the well, logic here? What?
1: And that your life almost without you having any say in it fundamentally changes. Your daily experience fundamentally changes because of these forces that truly are beyond your control.
0: Yeah. Well, I think what's interesting is what happened, you know, where it went from making money was a good thing. And, and many people benefited as a result of it to yeah. making money became such a terrible thing. I don't think and, it's a terrible thing. And in the hands thing. of just a few.
2: Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's a terrible thing. I think that, I think that there's. Um, I think that the goal of financial growth is a, is an intelligent one. Um, but we keep expecting that if we just grow the capital base, that we can just use that money to solve everything else. But I think we're finding that the transaction fees for that are very high, and pricing in externalities is very difficult. Like the fact that you can still get a thirty-year mortgage on beachfront property in America right now is crazy. Like we are not yet really registering what's happening around us, so. As I thought about this question, and and I'm a huge optimist about the world and human beings, and I I look at what we've created in the pursuit of money, and it's it's truly amazing what right. we've created. I mean, look at look at the building we're in. Just I mean, the around, city we're yeah. in. It's it's truly amazing. Um, but what would happen? What would happen if we if we switched gears? What would happen if we if we saw something different? And I came to think that maybe the biggest potential for us could be a real expansion of how we see our self-interest and how we see value because we right now we operate according to the belief that What's in our rational self-interest is what we want and need right now. It's just ra- all about now.
0: Well, we talk about this certainly with the retail markets right. and the shopping market. We've had the author of Fashionopolis on and, and how you're starting to slowly see kind of this pushback against fast fashion because, first of all, it's we all just end up having so much stuff, but you also have workers who are making not a lot of money to produce all of it. Like, There's just some really bad consequences the, the as phrase, a result.
2: The phrase I use in the book to talk about that is, uh, well, I, I say the image that comes to mind when I picture what's happening is the mullet yeah. and the, the mullet is the pinnacle of 80s hair technology you know business in front party in the back and so we are living <laughs> yeah. in we are living in the mullet economy where for 90 percent of people for workers it is business in front with yeah. wage freezes layoffs yeah. more job insecurity than ever before and then for the top one to ten percent is the party in the back of CEO compensation or executive compensation up a thousand percent since the 70s and so we're on this track where for 90% of people, they keep losing out. 43% of Americans can't pay their bills every month right, right now. And it just keeps going well, to this top group. And it's just not, you know, a, a mullet's cool, but, we, you We know. talked
0: about the two stories about B of A, getting right. these bo- you know, big bonuses again uh, for like the third year in a row. And then we had another story about a lot of people tapping of into these, you know, mega debt, middle class getting hooked on debt with 100% rates. like. The dichotomy that is going on right when, now, and that's the big, like the most read stories I, I, I have I
2: have a, I have a chart in the book that I made that shows the, the pay rates of American workers, and and show where they froze. Like 1973, workers really stopped getting raises. So the high point for the average American worker for pay per produ- productivity was 1973, the same year Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon came out. It's a long time ago yeah. and now we're all comfortably numb to this new right. normal. But I, I have this chart where I layer over top of the income, I layer the, the introduction of the credit card, which was the first credit mm-hmm. cards happened happen in 1966. There was zero credit card debt in, in America in 1966. Wow. Starting in 1970s when income stopped growing, credit cards filled the gap. So if you actually look at the amount of credit card debt held by American families, those are the pay raises. So you can imagine that instead of giving people raises, we gave them credit cards instead, because yeah. it makes more money yeah. if it's future debt, right? right? It's following the same mentality. So people are getting by, but they're doing it with debt now instead of pay. And I don't
0: know how it was with your parents, but like my parents, there's like no debt. Like they bought their house, yeah. like they didn't, the credit card, things were paid off. I remember when he got, my father got the first credit card, like it was, but they used it responsibly. Right. Sorry, right. Jason.
1: So I just have to ask you, because we only have about a minute left, you do strike a pretty optimistic tone, actually, throughout this book. And the second half is really sort of, what do we do? You look forward to 2050, you talk about, you know, the next generations who will sort of run this stuff, and a different sort of way of doing it, and it, in part you have a window into it because of Kickstarter, which you found it. Help us understand where we may go from here. I wish we had more time, but, yeah, but let us know.
2: The, the future is about balancing financial and non-financial values, right? And, and currently when we have discussions of financial versus non-financial, it's like a rational versus an emotional argument. But we need to get in place where both of these are rational arguments, yeah. where we agree on the importance of the sustainability of our lifestyles, or we agree on the importance of social cohesion and that those things can be really put into our decision making. So I create a a framework I call bentoism, which is a way to do that. But to me, expanding our self-interest, expanding what we think of as rational value, that's how we keep playing to our strengths as human beings yeah. and we keep bettering this just as all of our ancestors did for us like this is our moment to step up for all the generations to follow
0: well I do certainly feel like it's a conversation that more and more folks are having yes. including the corporate community yeah. um, so and I th-
1: and I do so think we both have teenagers one. I think teenagers yeah, are having this conversation totally. in a very uh, and I say that in a very optimistic way it's a phenomenal book I couldn't recommend it more this could be our future a manifesto for a more generous world Yancey Strickler is the author co-founder, former CEO of Kickstarter.